0: Welcome to Five to Thrive, five strategies to equip and empower educators, parents, and students to thrive. And here are your hosts, Dr. Rhoda and Professor Marty. Today we're gonna talk about a topic that uh, you can apply at any season. Uh, We're entering the summer season now and there's a lot of stuff going on. I'm still trying to figure out who to pick up, when to pick up but to make sure that car keys are in the right hands at the right time. Uh, Dr. Rhoda is here again and she's got some great comments to share on the topic of peer pressure. So Dr. Rhoda.
1: Yeah, so as you mentioned, Professor Miller, it's summertime and that means kids will have lots of time to spend with friends. Summer breaks are an incredible blessing, both for kids and for teachers alike. Uh, We all need a change of schedule, a change of pace to relax, recharge, rejuvenate, and even sometimes I think it's good to get a little bit bored. Sometimes we do that over the summer.
0: And you've talked about that too with the value of being bored and all those positive things.
1: It does make returning to school, ramping up for another school year much easier uh, if we get a little bit of rest and renewal, both for kids and for teachers. But with the summer comes a considerable amount of free time for youngsters. So your kids will probably be spending more time with friends And with friends comes peer pressure, right? It's inevitable. So, just reflect for a moment. What did peer pressure look like for you when you were a kid?
0: Well, I I will tell you. In the summer months, for me, I played a lot of baseball outside Mm -hmm. with my neighbor, and uh, you know what he said, what I said. That that was really where there was a lot of lot of peer pressure, positive most of the time.
1: I would say too. I played club softball and hanging around with a lot of those kids, and that was there was. Pressure with that but in the school year even and outside of the school year you think it like at different ages you have different types of peer pressure right mm-hmm. but I'm thinking back to high school is when it you know middle school high schools when it really starts to ramp up and and certain shoes were the thing right that you had yes, certain clothes had, certain jeans
0: certain shoes I had New Balance high tops okay I had different colored shoe shoe laces <laughs> and you never tied them during the day and now you say New Balance basketball shoes, and people look what? at you like, what yeah. century are you from?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, clothes, shoes, what kind Fair of music you listen pants. to? Yeah.
0: Oh, my. <laughs> did you going have a down, pair of parachute pants? I sure did. Oh, did you really? Yes.
1: Uh-huh. I'm going to try to find Great. pictures of that.
0: Uh, you know, I have count on how many zippers. I don't remember now. But Can't uh, touch this.
1: Uh, <laughs> fun, fun, fun. You know, shop at certain stores or listen to certain kinds of music or hang out with certain kinds of people, certain people the the in-group, you know, there's all that pressure that we get from our, from our peers, from our friends. Some of it's very positive, some of it not so much. It's not so positive. You might have had some pressure to skip class or to attend some parties or drink when you were underage, those types of things. What does, does it, is it different for your kids now?
0: What does peer pressure look like for your kids compared to what it looked like for you? I think this is a really great question because think about what many kids are doing an awful lot these days during school after school and now summertime
1: yeah I think that a lot of the stuff is the same, right? I mean, you still, I think there's still a pressure to look a certain way, dress a certain way, hang out with certain, do certain things. But I think what's added that we didn't have is the technology, right? What kind of phone do you have? At what age do you have that phone? What social media sites can you go on? Your parents allow you on Facebook. My parents don't allow me. You can have Instagram. Facebook's not the big thing, right? You can right, have Instagram. Right. You can have Snapchat. I can't have Snapchat. So there's like this this pressure there. Did you get the newest, latest, greatest um, the video game or whatever it might be? That's a new one that we didn't have so much of. I think it's kind of interesting when we were, so I'm a teenager in the 80s. And for us, everything was bigger, like the big boom box that, you know, you That's carried right. around. Yes. The bigger speakers you had, the better. Now it seems like everything's smaller. Yeah. Right? Bigger the was smaller. And yeah. now? It's kind of gone reverse. Absolutely. And- started with the iPod and the phone and all that. What does it look like now for us as adults? I don't think peer pressure goes away. As adults, we may call it something different. I think sometimes it's referred to as keeping up with the Joneses. Mm -hmm. I feel bad for those Joneses. They're probably Mm -hmm. very nice people. They always get picked on. But you know, to live in a certain neighborhood, or drive a certain kind of car, have our kids in certain activities, host a birthday party or a wedding that's bigger than the other ones, go on certain vacations to have particular jobs, we become pressured to measure our worth on how we're doing with these external things, I think, oftentimes and, as adults. And,
0: and you think in small talk with others, what what are the topics that usually come up? Uh, mm-hmm. What kind of car do you drive? Uh, mm-hmm. Where do you live? Um, mm-hmm. All these things that you just uh, spoke about, it's really easy to get caught up with that because yeah. that that's often an icebreaker in some ways, but that, that that's not who we are. Right, right.
1: And so it's important for us to realize that peer pressure doesn't go away. Uh, We're always going to care what other people think, no matter what our age is. So how do we do this in a healthy way? How do we do this in a God-pleasing way? And how do we help our children learn how to deal with it now? Because it's not going away. It it will be there. So, And peer pressure is not necessarily a bad thing. It can be very, very good. Much of who I am today can be attributed to positive pressure that I had from friends growing up. You alluded to that as well. Peer pressure can be very, very positive. What are some examples of positive peer pressure? Trying to... Be a part of a team or play an instrument and do your very best, be your very best to, you know, try to do your homework and. Be faithful and get good grades, and hang out with people that are encouraging you and supporting you, and want the best for you. That's really beautiful.
0: I, I think of my my one son who, uh, yeah, he's a freshman. Well, now he's a sophomore, but uh, the captain of the cross country team. Mm-hmm. Just he's captain? Dis- now. No, no, he's not. Oh, he's oh okay, not. his friend is. Okay, no, yeah, senior. Yeah, unbelievable leadership, positive peer pressure, and, and that's one of those sports where if you don't have that positive peer pressure, yeah. It, It's hard to just go out and run. You're running for yourself, but it's also a a team thing. So I have seen uh, my son uh, mature and develop directly because of some of those influences, the positive peer pressure that people older than him were were willing to to demonstrate.
1: Yeah, when our friends set good expectations for us, Mm -hmm. right? Positive expectations. That's a beautiful thing. So as we're talking about this peer pressure, so much of it revolves around identity. Who our identity is, what our identity is, so we need to understand our identity. And kids are in the mix of identity development during this time. And where do they find their identity? Who am I? What am I good at? They're asking those types of questions. Erickson's identity development theory is just really, excuse me, really interesting to me. He starts out by saying that when you are five, six, seven years old, there are two groups of people you want to be like. You either want to be like mom and dad or like your teacher. Mm-hmm. So if your dad's favorite team is are the Brewers, then your favorite team are the Brewers. If your mom's favorite color is green, then your favorite color is green, right? If your teacher really likes pop music, then you really like pop music, right? We, we want to be at that age group. Those are the people that we really, really want to please. And, and what they like is what we like then you start getting a little bit older and you start seeing that gosh you know i like i like green but it's probably not my favorite color i really like blue or you know the brewers are are good, but gosh, I kind of like watching the Cubs. I shouldn't say that. I, I might get chased right, so we're gonna out We're going to end this uh, yeah.
0: podcast right now.
1: <laughs> so they start seeing that they're like their parents, they're like their teacher, but they're not the same. They, they have some differences. So that's not quite who I am. So then they start looking to friends to see what their identity is. They, they start taking on the identity of their friends and the people around them. This is, is really big from ages eight to 15. In fact, uh, Eric Erickson had suggested that, so this stage is called the ego stage. He suggested that like from 12, 13, 14, 15, we actually change it and call it the we-go stage because if my friends aren't doing it, I'm not doing it. Everything depends on their friendships. That's why when parents say, should I, how involved should I be with who my students, my kids hang around with? I say very, (laughs) Mm -hmm. because they're going to take on the attributes of the friends they're hanging around with. And sometimes you can't really say, you know, you can't hang around with that kid because certain kids will push against that. And now they're really going to hang around with that kid. But I always suggest is have them hang around that kid at your house. I think that's where you can
0: have an influence. That's a really important point to take away as parents during those middle school years. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. When they're going through the, hey, it's all about me and my friends you absolutely, as parents, need to be actively involved. Not micromanaging, but actively involved, uh, that you're there, even I mean, even taking your your children to events. Uh, so yeah, it's important Offer to take drive them to the and, events, yeah. and and even if they sit someplace else, you're, you're you're still in the building, and they know that. Yep, you can learn
1: so much from young people from conversations
0: going on in the backseat. seat. Yes. <laughs> I have three teenagers right now, so you are spot on with that.
1: Yep, it used to be you know from age sixteen to twenty one or so continued into the ego stage, and you're you're not you're finding out that your friends really liked basketball and yet you didn't make the varsity basketball team so that might be your friend's identity but it's not really yours so then what's mine? Um, Somebody really likes hip hop and so you like hip hop but then you're like yeah I'm not so big on hip hop I really like Fill in the blank, right? Mm-hmm. So you start taking on, you get a little bit more independent. And that's where I think for the, our high school teachers out there, this is one of the reasons I really loved teaching high school so much. If you can help students during this and parents, if you can help young people during the teenage years figure out how they're uniquely gifted, what comes easy for them that doesn't come necessarily easy to somebody else? Those are some real keys into identity, the gifts God's given us who we are, how we can use those gifts to serve other people. And when young people can have a sense of identity, who they are, what they're good at, it makes such a difference in their self-efficacy, their self-confidence. And when they can get attention doing good, positive things, they're not nearly as likely to try to get attention doing negative things. So the more we can expose them to things, help them figure out, you know, oh, you're really good at photography. You take incredible pictures. You are really, really good at empathizing with people and listening and understanding where they're coming from. You have a real gift for that, is we can help young people understand how they're uniquely designed and created and how they can use those gifts that makes such a difference throughout life. So they go from the identity stage where they're wanting to be like mom and dad or their teacher, then it transitions into, well, not so much, maybe it's my friends, so they're hanging out with their friends. My favorite way, my favorite example of this is, if your children have ever participated in a Christmas Eve service, a program of some sort like that and you were at rehearsals or practices just look around who's the group that's singing at the top of their lungs there's a glint in there in their eye they're so excited to be there it's your seventh and eighth graders right <laughs> no not at all right it's the little ones it's five six seven year olds because they're really excited about this by time you start getting to like fourth fifth grade you'll see kids looking around and if certain kids are singing then they'll say, okay, it must be cool to sing. If certain kids aren't singing, they'll say, okay, it must not be cool to sing, I'm not gonna sing. So they start really looking at their friends to see Uh, how they're going to react and, and gauge their level of activity. That continues through middle school. They start getting more into high school. They start thinking more about, okay, that's what my friends are really good at, but I'm not so much what am I good at. So those are those stages of identity development, according to Eric Erickson, and I think they're pretty spot on. But I think what's really, really important is helping all of us, both as adults and as young people, understand the most base root of our identity. On the very last day of your life, the very last day that you're going to breathe, what is the most important aspect of your identity? On that day, is it really going to matter to you what kind of job you had, what kind of car you drove, if you were overweight or underweight, if you were good at painting or not painting, right? Part of those, those are part of our identity and and they serve us through this lifetime, but we don't take that into eternity. What we take into eternity is our identity in Christ. I am a redeemed child of God purchased by the blood of Jesus, that makes me enough. That's what my real identity is. On the last day, that's the only part of my identity that truly matters. So when we can have that confidence, when we can have that peace, then we don't have to worry so much about what other people think. We can like people who aren't just like us because we realize that they're redeemed children of God purchased by the blood of Jesus and they're enough. And we can have that security and we can just live and love and celebrate.
0: And you know what's great about those comments is everything comes out of that Mm -hmm. all of our thoughts can Mm -hmm. be traced back to that if we can do that and yet in our society so often we don't talk about exactly that we don't talk about our true identity and so this is just a great reminder for us all from dr. Rhoda wait a second before we're involved in all this other stuff which is important stuff Let's remember really who we are and whose we are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That core foundational thing. So when if you can help your young people understand that, then they're not gonna be nearly as pushed and pulled by the current trends, what's in, what's out. I mean it's a if if your parents are like mine, like I really wanted that pair of Nike tennis shoes. And there's no way they were paying 60 bucks. They're like, we're paying 30. If you want those, you got to come up with the other 30, right? And then if I really wanted them, I'd figure out how to do that. And so to help young people understand that their worth does not come from those types of things. Their worth comes from who God has made them to be. And all those other things are just, it's the spice of life. It's the blessings. And Mm -hmm. if you have them, awesome. If you don't have them, it's okay. Then we can treat other people with that same kind of respect. This is going to help kids when when they're pressured to do things that they don't necessarily want to do. Sorry, that's not who I am. You know, the end of the date... Things are going in a direction that you're not comfortable with. You can be comfortable and confident to say, "Sorry, that's not who I am." Um, you know, you're at a party and the keg comes out, and you're uncomfortable, and you can say, "Sorry, that's not who I am." And you can have another group of friends, and you can say, "Hey, let's go to a movie. Do something different, right?" But that starts at a young age, at a young age of children understanding what their true identity is.
0: And I would say, you know, consistency and persistency, right, yeah. from the from the parents over time.
1: Yep. There's also a group dynamic that I'm a fan of. I've talked about it on other shows here called the 20-60-20 principle. And basically, Professor Marty, when you have a group of people together, you typically have 20% who are leaders leading in a positive way, 20% who are leading but they're leading in a negative way, and who do the 60% in the middle follow? Whomever is speaking the loudest. So when our young people can understand this, when you can have young kids who are making good decisions, positive peer pressure, and have them be vocal about it. People are watching them. And at the same time, we want to help our young kids who have been given leadership skills but are leading in a negative way figure out, help them understand their identity so they start using their gifts in a positive way. So just as something to take into account there that has just helped me a lot throughout my my life.
0: And what I found with the 206020 rule is really super important over the summer months as you're thinking about planning for the school year Mm -hmm. those first two weeks of school Mm -hmm. very very valuable to make sure that you approach that and really focus on the leaders positive and negative and Mm -hmm. neutralize the negative and have them use their gifts toward a positive way it'll shape the culture of the entire class
1: absolutely Jeff that's one of the best ways to develop that culture and climate is to use your students to do it and their natural gifts. Encouragement as summer sets in, please allow your children to have unsupervised time with friends. I know it can be scary. They may mess up. They may choose to make poor choices. That's okay. It's part of growing up. There's one thing I want us to understand better. It's kids need kid size mistakes. We need to let them fall down and get back up. We have a whole bunch of hurting young people who have never learned how to fall down and get back up, and they're devastated when they make mistakes. It is not healthy for them physically, emotionally, socially, mentally. So kids need to be able to do that. They need to learn resilience, and that's how they learn it, by messing up. That's how we learned it. So when they mess up, we can teach them the power of forgiveness, We can teach them the resilience, that tomorrow's a new day, here we go. Those are such important lessons. And when you think about what God does with us, he allows us to mess up, Mm -hmm. right? He could have programmed us so that we'd never mess up, but he allows us choice and the ability to make poor choices and then to learn from the consequences of those poor choices. So we wanna do the same with our children. We wanna set very clear boundaries. God has clear boundaries with us. We know what his expectations are. So with our children, we wanna set clear boundaries, let them know our expectations, but then allow them to live and learn from those life lessons, both the good and the bad. Peer pressure does not have to be negative, it can be positive, but if they mess up and give in to negative, there's an incredibly valuable lesson to be learned in that, and it might save them a lot of heartache down the road if they never learn that lesson.
0: And uh, as always, Dr. Rhoda and I are always open to your feedback uh, this summer. Let us know how it goes, let us know what works and what doesn't. Thanks so much for joining us. Our goal in Five to Thrive is to equip and support educators and parents as they help each child develop to his or her full God-given potential. So here are five takeaways from today's episode on peer pressure. Uh, Number one, peer pressure is all around us. It is not going to go away. So it certainly uh, is prudent for us to, to think about it, reflect on it, and give it the attention that it deserves. Number two, uh, peer pressure is not always bad. There are many ways that peer pressure can be good and viewed as such. Number three, with peer pressure comes the discussion of identity. Uh, Take the time to talk to your students or your children about their true identity, both their eternal identity and their earthly identity. Number four, Uh, This summer, uh, remember to allow your kids to have choice. They're going to make good decisions and bad decisions. The important thing is they have choice and that they learn from those decisions. And number five, let us know how your summer's going. We certainly appreciate your feedback. Thanks for taking the time to learn with us. Let us know how you're doing. If you have questions, challenges, or successes you want to share, Please let us know through the comment section of our website. May your week be blessed.